Welcome to our True Crime, True Family podcast. Quarantine equals no life, so we've decided to start a true crime podcast. I'm Emily, and along with my mom, Kate, and our cousin Paige, we will be discussing popular true crime documentaries and cases. Due to sensitive subject material and explicit language, viewer discretion is advised. I actually, like, I guess we should talk about this too. Yeah, probably. I am actually almost through all of them. I watched almost all of them and then I started to fall asleep during the fourth one, so I didn't finish it. Yeah, so I'm on the fourth one because I just went ahead and watched them through and did my notes. Um, well, they I don't, weren't very I don't long. Like what? They weren't very long, so it made it made it very easy to watch all four of them at one time. Well, yeah. Well, and they were also annoying. So uh, annoying. Um, I was very annoyed this entire. You were not annoyed this entire series. No. What were you annoyed by? I fucking hate Gil Carrillo. Oh, I like Gil. Oh, okay. Well, this should be fun. <laughs> I I really <laughs> did like Gil. <laughs> what was the other guy's name? Frank. Frank. Wait. 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 Wait, which one was Gil? The dumb one. Older or young one? Young. Okay. That's who I thought you were talking about. She's like, God damn it. I still like him. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay, well. Oh, fuck. And now I'm going to have to do this stupid intro. Where's Em? Oh, I don't know. I didn't even bother asking her. Oh. She's probably sleeping. Oh. Um, yeah, she, they went and got like cream. And Dan's always like, Do you want to go with us? Because they go to get the hot crispy cream. It's like, I don't need to punish myself like that. Like, <laughs> oh, what? So I can inhale six of them and then be mad at myself for the rest of the day? Like, no, thank you. They go get hot crispy cream. Uh huh. It is really fucking good. But oh, I'm sure it is. It's amazing. But like, I don't need to do that. That and then like, first of all, Daniel's like so goddamn sensitive to sugar. So it's like, like it's the time they drive back, <laughs> like the sugar hit and Daniel's like a goddamn nightmare for two hours. <laughs> like, I think Dan just banished him to the basement for like an hour this morning. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, no, I, this was not my favorite. (gasps) I really liked this one. I, I just, I guess we'll get into it. Okay. Um, So we did a poll on our Instagram and that the Night Stalker one, um, is the one that people like voted on. And I, maybe part of it is that I had very high hopes for it. And so maybe my expectations with that was that, like, maybe we'd learn something about, you know, the Night Stalker. But well, we did, didn't we? Um, I really knew the same amount of things at the beginning about him as I did at the end. And I didn't really know anything about him other than he had absolutely hideous teeth and was a serial killer. 
And he worshipped Satan. Yeah, and American Horror Story 1987 kind of had him tied into that season. And I still can't believe that you don't watch that. It's such a good... No, it's too scary. Yeah, I don't know. It... I don't know. I don't think it's like that. I just find it interesting. I don't... It doesn't scare me so much. I cannot watch things that will make me jump. Like... Oh, Sam will jump a lot in American Horror Story. See, I just feel like all of those characters are so fucking creepy looking well, you, that, that. I, yeah, that I would have nightmares. That's how I see it. I just can't. So, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. It is kind of scary sometimes. Yeah. But, like, the, I guess the seasons that I like the best are not really the jump scary ones. Like, the hotel one, I really liked. I feel like if it's a hotel one, it would be, like, a jump scary one. Like, things coming out of, like, no, closets and stuff. No, it was really good. Oh. Um, but, anyway, I mean, that's not this. So, episode one opens with a PSA by Detective Gil Carrillo. From August 8th of 1985. And I was like, oh, VHS. Like, it's like watching my childhood. Yeah. Detective Carrillo is with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Homicide Bureau. Like, why is there such a long title? (laughs) They were conducting an investigation of a series of homicides and sexual assaults occurring in L.A. County. The suspect was believed to be traveling along the highways in stolen cars, and he always wore gloves to make his entry. Detective Carrillo says the suspect, and I was like, absolute fucking nightmare judging by his teeth, <laughs> has used guns, knives, tire irons, handcuffs, and thumb cuffs. And I was like, what the fuck are thumb cuffs? You learned about it, though. Yeah. As well as his own foot to inflict serious, and then it trails off, and it's like, geez, he just stomped people's heads in. Then Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen starts playing, and we see various <laughs> clips of how amazing that decade was. Like the eighties really were great. Yeah. A man says LA was a facade. It was glamorous celebrities, but if you went around to the other side, it could be a very dark place. I said, now my eyes are watching a man say this, but my closed captioning keeps saying woman too before he speaks. <laughs> so I got really? thrown off. <laughs> before Gil spoke? No, whoever said that the LA was a facade thing. Oh. Um, he says, you could be anyone here. Very, very, very dangerous people. And then we see a variety of people talking about the murders and assaults and like an old man who apparently didn't have time to change out of his goddamn pajamas before his big interview says there's sort of a thin line between being paranoid about it and being aware of it. People were like terrified. Then one lady, she's like, I'm not leaving my door open for my son. I don't care if he sleeps on the street. And it's like, well, that's sweet lady. Like hope the killer doesn't come murder him in his car. (laughs) Like Jesus Christ, can how about have how about get him a key? How about that? <laughs> Another lady is pissed that the police don't know who the killer is, and she's like, "I don't understand why somebody can't identify him. He has to live somewhere." 
somebody must know like he's a weird a weird looking person it's like do you know who it is ma'am like you seem to have a lot of these details <laughs> like what are you talking about like somebody has to know him like oh okay thanks for that tip I'm sure the cops like solved it right after getting that so on screen text reads we are all evil in some form or another are we not and I was like yikes like clearly some of us more than others (laughs) so detective Carrillo tells us that he was born and raised in the catholic church I believe in God I believe in the holy spirit I believe there's a devil I believe there's an evil force I just say prayers, hopefully to give me the wisdom and knowledge to bring this case to a solution. And I wrote, he seems depressed. (laughs) So in East Los Angeles in 1960, um, all the people on the block that he lived on were Mexicans. And that there was a gang where he lived. And he says, we all hung out on the corner of Doolin and Holbrook. They were more important. They, oh, the gang was more important than that school was to me. And I didn't realize that until a cop told my mom and dad, sign for this young man to get off the streets or he'll end up in, end up dead or in prison. And so at age 17, his parents signed for me to go into the army. I didn't know you could do that. Like sign your kids in early. Well, they probably have to be a certain age, but I'm sure you can. Well, yeah, I mean, I just thought it had to be 18. But. Oh, yeah. Gil was a crew chief with 189th Assault Helicopter Company in Vietnam, and he saw heavy combat. And I don't think that I would survive long doing anything like that. Like, I could not imagine seeing heavy combat. Mm-mm. When Gil got out of the armed forces, he had three goals in life. One, start dating his former girlfriend who had dumped him while he was in Vietnam. He wanted to see if he could get her back so he could break up with her. And I wrote, stay petty, Gil. (laughs) And then I was like, although I'm guessing he marries her or some shit. And I was like, yeah, I was immediately right. (laughs) (laughs) She says, but it didn't work out that way. He got out of the service in June and they were married by December. And I wrote, um, their wedding photo. (laughs) For one, they had about a billion people in their wedding. Oh, it's so funny when you dislike somebody on a documentary because you have such a biased opinion of everything they do. <laughs> oh, please. Like, you did not look at that, like, wedding picture and you're like, why is everybody on earth in your wedding? <laughs> I don't remember it. And how do you not remember it? Did you see what the maid of honor was wearing? No, I don't remember. She had on, everyone's in like, I don't even know. I I think it was like white dresses, like something hideous. And then this bitch, or maybe it was a black dress with black veils. I don't know. I don't remember. But the maid of honor had on a bright red, like, gown with a red veil. It was hideous. (laughs) We'll go back and watch it. It was disgusting. I'm like that's a lot like that's more people that even came to my wedding <laughs> oh yeah I did write it down um it says for one they had about a billion people in their wedding for two what in the actual fuck was her maid of honor wearing it was hideous 
The bridesmaids all wore black dresses and white veils. And I wrote, nasty. Yeah, she was in a red dress with a red veil like a psycho. The maid of honor? Yes, it was hideous. Well, maybe that was like the thing in the 70s. Whatever. Okay, that might have been a thing. It can still be hideous. Two things can be true at the same time. <laughs> oh, this is why I love it when you're biased against people because it's hilarious. So his goal number two was to go to college and he went to Rio Hondo College, which sounded more like a car dealership than a school to me. <laughs> oh my god. His third goal was to become a cop, so he accomplished his goals. And I said, now I noticed that he said go to college, graduate, or get a degree. So I'm guessing he didn't do that part of it. Now, at this point, I did still like Gil. So this was not bias. What, at what point did it oh, turn I'm sure for you'll you? Find out. <laughs> well, figure. If you think it's just me going in on him, like it's nothing <laughs> compared to what. Oh my God. Coming. I hated him. Oh my god. Oh, okay. Well, it's about to be, this is about to be where I did not like him. We're getting close. On October 1st, 1971, Gilbert became a patrol cop at East LA Sheriff's Station. When he was 29, he got an outstanding evaluation. And that was the first time his dad ever said that he was proud of him. And I wrote, um, that's fucked up. He was in a war before that. Like, geez. <laughs> Be proud. My kid just even survived a war. Never, especially my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Emily can't handle a shot at the doctors and Daniel would give away their location being loud as fuck. There's no way they'd make it. <laughs> they, they'd be the first to go. <laughs> They better hope, like, the draft never comes back. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Emily, you think you're worried about a shot? Just wait until it's a bullet. (laughs) So, Gil admired Sheriff's homicide. Oh, wait, what? Oh, Gil admired Sheriff's homicide detectives and told them that one day he wanted to do their jobs. And I was like, so, is this really a documentary about how Gil accomplished his life goals? I said, apparently so. So, this is where Gil started going down, in my opinion. And so, on March 23rd, 1981, Gil got called to Homicide Bureau. This man says, with all seriousness and sincerity... I only had nine and a half years of experience. Sir, nine and a half years is a long time. (laughs) But maybe it's not to become a a detective. It's two to six at the most. How do you know that? Because I Googled it. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I said, now I'm doubting that outstanding evaluation was legit. And I understand why your dad never says he's proud of you. Oh my god. 
<laughs> I was so mad at that. See, I thought that this podcast was going to be one of our darkest because <laughs> of the story and how, like, we haven't even gotten into the juice of it. Like, like the crimes were horrid of what this guy did and you are just yeah and I still think Gil's worse or just as bad that is annoying that's like Tommy boy when he's like you know a lot of people go to college for seven years David Spade's like yeah I know they're called doctors Oh, this is going to be good. And don't worry, because they really don't talk about the case all that much. It's all about how fucking stupid Gil and the rest of the cops are. I don't know how you thought this was going to be dark. We don't hear anything. No tales of nothing. They did. I thought this was going to be, like, one of our, like, most sad, like, we weren't going to be, like, animated at all in this one. Oh, yeah. Don't true. worry. Oh, I'll come in in the clutch on that one. <laughs> so Tony Valdez was a crime reporter and he calls the homicide detectives bulldogs and he says, and I can tell you there were a lot of murders being solved 20 years later because the bulldogs never let go. And I wrote, um, or someone retired and they got a new cop so that they finally like solve something. Like what the fuck is it taking you 20 years to solve a murder for? I said, they didn't have DNA evidence back then, they like they do now. <laughs> Valerie's going to love this episode. Wrote, this bar for success for law enforcement is certainly extremely low. Jesus, they introduced Detective Frank Salerno in the lamest, most melodramatic way ever. It's pitiful. <laughs> He's at a bar and he turns to the camera like he's like in the SNL credits from the 90s. He says, we probably were... What? Did you say something? No. I thought you said something. No. But so he says, we probably ran 350 to 400 murders a year for the Sheriff's Bureau. Los Angeles police department was probably running 500 or 600 and i said um for one that seems very drastic for one city to have like regularly have a thousand murders each year that also takes like 20 years to solve cases like how does how does that work like get an efficiency expert in there like you are not it but it's LA. They probably did that. Did have that many? Um, well, I mean, you might as well just advertise like LA. You can literally get away with murder here. We won't get around to it for like twenty years. <laughs> Frank also says so. In LA County, there's probably close to a thousand murders a year. I wrote nothing gets past you, Frank. Um, he tells us it takes a big ego because you got to have confidence in what you're doing. I noticed he said confidence and not precision. Like, <sighs> yeah, and it does take a big ego to get up every day and not solve murders and still think you're the shit. 
Oh my god. He says you're investigating the ultimate crime. And I said, I bet HR loves him. (laughs) What am I watching? Gil says, Frank Salerno is the Italian stallion. He's the goomba. He's everything. I wrote, sir, calm down. (laughs) He said, when I got there, he was working on the hillside strangler. And I said, sir, you said strangler. Not stranglers, and I'm not a cop, and I know off the top of my head that there were two, Bianchi and Bono. You fucking idiot. (laughs) I just don't. I said, Lord Jesus, they killed 13 people. Like, way to go, detectives. You were really on top of that. And I said, I googled this to make sure I was right about it being Bianchi and Bono, and I said, I was. But I also noticed that it said during the time he was committing his crimes, Bianchi actually applied for a job with the Los Angeles Police Department. We took him on several ride-alongs as they investigated the Hillside Strive Pace. Yes, these Is people are fucking dumb. <clears throat> I didn't know about the Hillside Stranglers. Well, I really only looked it up because I wanted to make sure that I was right when I called this man a fucking idiot for saying strangler and not stranglers. <laughs> and then I said, Gil is still going on and on about Frank. I think he has a crush. Other people start talking about Frank and I believe none of it. They're all saying nice things. I'm like, no. Frank says Gil was the youngest detective. And I was like, oh yeah, I bet there isn't a lot of turnover with your 20 year cases. Frank invited, like, in what job? Like, you get away for not solving something in 20 have a job. I don't, I, I don't understand. Frank invited Gil to, I don't think it was all of them. Look, that's information they provided. I'm sure, yeah. And the ones that got <laughs> something less than 20 years is because, like, the person walked in and confessed. <laughs> Um, so Frank invited Gil to go to an Italian restaurant called Little Joe's in Chinatown. And I said, pissing me off further, Gil says, I'm sitting there and I've never eaten Italian food. And I wrote, excuse me, like, you've never eaten Italian food? You're what, like 40 fucking years old and you have never had Italian food? Really? Find that hard to believe. Like that jackass on their pump rules who tried to act like she never ate crap mac and cheese as a kid. Gil was telling his lie and he says he started laughing and Salerno looked at me and said, what's so funny, kid? And I said, kid, like, I'm real sure, kid. She said, here I am last week. I'm eating a double wrapped chili burrito off the hood of a radio car in East L.A. Tonight I'm wearing a suit and tie eating some shit that I don't know what it is. And he's, it's chicken parmesan. Like, you can't figure out that you were eating goddamn chicken. Drinking a glass of wine with Frank (laughs) Salerno. Like, get off his dick, sir. And the guys from Homicide. It don't get any better than that. And I said, can we get to the killer, please? Like, no wonder this is four episodes long. They could have just covered it all in one. Oh my gosh. They, well, look, look, it's it's a lot. 
March 17th, 1985, day one. And I said, I'm genuinely terrified. I'm about to really sit through an hour of these morons bragging about how easy it is to kill in L.A. And Gil completely simping for Frank. Like, suck his dick already and get it over with G. <laughs> we meet Esther oh Petchar, who has heart-shaped glasses. She's telling us about a trip to the Salvation Army where she saw an ACDC hat she thought was weird. A guy picked it up, turned around, and looked at her, kind of smiled, and he had the devil on his hand. <clears throat> he got the hat and walked away. I said, cool, another story I don't buy. Then this dumb bitch says he came speeding up on her on the freeway, and it was the same guy, horrible big grin and missing teeth. Again, he stared with a weird smile while passing her on the freeway. Like, I sometimes when people come up with stories like this, it's like, did you just want to, like, you made something up? <laughs> Gil says the date was March 7th. 1985 St. Patrick's Day like thank you Gil we couldn't figure that out I actually got that murder with my partner I get there and the garage door is open and the blood spatterings across the door and on the floor right by the door that separates the garage from the condo proper there was a baseball cap and I said oh let me guess the ACDC hat what are the odds he says, I go inside the condo, walk around, and see a bloody phone inside the bedroom, and I see, see Dale Okasaki lying on the kitchen floor wearing a Dodger jersey. Been shot right in the forehead. She put her hands on the countertop and lifted her head up because it was quiet in there. Wanted to see where the suspect was at. He was on the other side of the countertop waiting for her, knowing that she was going to pop her head, off, head up because he could see her hands waiting there, and when she did, he pulled the trigger. And I said, oh, I'm real sure you got all of that from your detective work. <laughs> I'm, no, I feel like it's like a story that like Ramirez probably told in prison like 15 years after the case and Gil acts like he just knew it from the jump. So Dale Okasaki's 34. And um, Gil continues, Maria Hernandez had just driven home. She entered via the garage door that she opened with a garage door opener a remote maria said she keyed the door she heard an internal noise she turned her like does he mean she's putting the key in the door i guess she turned around and there was a male suspect with a stargazed look with a gun stretched out coming towards her face and she put her hands up and he pulled the trigger and the bullet deflected off the keys in her hand it knocked her to the ground he then pushed her out of the way entered the condo she jumped up and started running down the alleyway when she heard another gunshot. She became concerned for her roommate, so she went around to the front of the condo thinking he'll come out back, come back out the garage door. But he didn't. He came out the front door and he saw her. Like, I would probably die a heart attack. He's just yeah. startled to see her as she is to see him. And Maria said, I just threw my hands up in the air and said, you already shot me once. Do you really have to shoot me again? Which time the suspect puts the gun down by his side and doesn't even run away. He walked away. Like, that's insane. And I said daily briefings must have been painful with him. Like, he talks a lot. 
He said, I'm at the Maria Hernandez house. I'm not thinking about anything else other than getting accurate documentation of what my observations are. Like, well, why would thinking of anything else? Like, you're doing your job. Like, you don't get, like, extra credit for doing your job. So I'm documenting everything from ambiance to smell. Like, is he using fixed objects to measure where her foot is, where her head is, and directing the photographer to take photos of the crime scene? He would drive me absolutely nuts. And once that's done, I can start thinking about motives and think, thinking about solving this case. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Like, is this a joke? Like, I, he's so, you really thought this was like normal behavior for cops? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Really? Even now, after I point out how stupid they are, you still think that's normal? Well, like, uh, <laughs> whoa, I'm so mad at him. I hate him. I can tell. Um, <laughs> this lady is like, I'm inside the living room and the deputy opens the door and says, excuse me, the mother of Maria Hernandez is out here and she'd like to have a word with you. While the door is opening, he's standing there. I hear somebody say, Gilbert, is that you? And his name is Gilbert. What a dumb name. I'm there saying, Gilbert, nobody calls I'm Gil. I'm too cool to be Gilbert. I said, Paige, oh, yeah, I hate did this say man. That. I wrote your name in there. That's what I was just about to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> so she says it's me Pauline and I said pumpkin and she said yes and it was the mother of Maria Hernandez like uh yeah we, we you started the story saying the mother of Maria Hernandez is out here I think we figured it out a neighbor that <laughs> well they were friends yeah and you would think as a friend she would have done a better job of like investigating her like daughter being hurt I said, I am going to be pissed if this entire docuseries is this dude telling all his long-winded stories and I can go for promotion after nearly a goddamn decade. Well, isn't that what happened? Exactly. That's why I did not like this series. This four fucking episodes of this shit. <laughs> the next day they found out that 30 minutes after the murder the Monterey Park Police Department got a call. There was a murder that occurred probably a mile from where, where Dale Okasaki got killed. Frank says they've got a young Asian girl that's driving down the street and all of a sudden she is stopped and she's yanked out of her car and she's shot for no apparent reason. Which it's very odd to me that like he didn't like satisfy his like need to kill but he let that one lady go. The Maria yeah, lady? Like, because he could have just shot her if he was still, like, wanting to, like, kill people, but he, like, just walked away. So, um, Sai Lin Yu was 30 years old, and her last words were, help me, help me. I said, fucking Gil says, it's the same caliber weapon, but you can't assume that it's the same gun because there are thousands upon thousands of 22s out there. 
And I said, yeah, jackass, that's why they called you to investigate, you fucking dipshit. I said, you tie it all together and then pass it off to the attorney. You do tests, you verify that it came from the same gun, and then you give the information to a lawyer who can do the real work for you. His dumbass says, maybe it's not the same gun. I hate him. I'm so serious. Like, Maria Hernandez took her attacker to a sketch artist. When the sketch is put together, Gil goes to the East LA station to show it off. Like, of course he does. How about investigate the case? Don't go show your buddies about the fucking picture you had drawn. Not like there's a killer on the loose or anything. Like, let's just go show your friends your fucking drawing. Like, by all means, take your fucking time. Gil says, a friend of mine says, Gil, hold that thought. I said, your friend? I'm real sure. You mean your coworker? You know none of these people liked him. I said, side note, the only thing I ever miss about work is office gossip and office supplies. Anyway, oh, I used yeah. to love when, like, I could order office supplies. Be like, ah, what? I can get a new pen? It took very little to keep me entertained at work. Let me tell you. So Gil's bestie is all like, be right back. And he runs out to get his, he goes out to his car to get his sketch picture to show off. And his friend's sketch was of a suspect in an attempted kidnapping in Pico Rivera. And Gil says, you put them together, it looks like the same guy. And they show both of them. And I was like, no, it doesn't. And I was just shaking my head. Like, it did not look like the exact same guy. I mean, they both look generic. Really look that much like uh, Richard Ramirez. And I said, um, why is Gil so goddamn annoying to me? <laughs> I said, I was not that impressed. It reminded me of when your kid comes home after doing a portrait of, like, you in the art class. And, like, when you have to react like they just drew the goddamn Mona Lisa. <laughs> And you're like, oh my gosh, look how great that is. Looks just like me. And meanwhile, like, one eye is in the right place. The other eye is, like, hanging out by your hairline. The blown pupil. <laughs> and my nose looks like someone just knocked the number three over. Looks exactly like me, kids. Gil walks through his response after seeing both sketches. It's a good thing they didn't pay Gil by the syllable because they would be bankrupt. Gil says, my mind started working because before I got to homicide, I was going to Cal State LA. And I wrote, hold up, didn't he just tell us that he went to Kia Hondo College? <laughs> there was a professor there by the name of Robert Morneau. Great man, best professor I've ever had. I said, and apparently you have had a ton. Gil took the course, Advanced Criminal Investigation Pertaining to Sex Crimes. Like, that's it's a very specific class. Gil says, I remember there was a deviancy that says, I like to see a frightened look on your face. I want to see you scared. That's what really gets me turned on. And I said, you needed a college course to figure that out. Says, with Maria, with Maria, Ramirez slapped the top of the car to get her attention. With Dale... He waited to kill her until he saw the fear in her eyes, and then he shot her. Sidely Mew was pulled out of her car and shot, as opposed to just shooting into the car, so that Ramirez could watch her and see her, her fear. That's what started me thinking about perhaps one man doing, like, 
is this aware that there's like an entire BDSM community that gets off on doing all those sorts of things? Like his brain yeah. would burst if he Googled that. And like maybe I'm weird, but I would assume if you're just telling people random all willy nilly, then you probably would want to see it. Like that's not some huge revelation. Like if you enjoy killing people, I would assume that part of what you enjoy is the killing part of it. I don't I just move on. Ramirez and Lucifer says, I was in alliance with the evil that is inherent in human nature, and that's who I was, walking death. So, March 27th, 1985, day 10. There was a double murder in the Whittier County area. The victims were Vincent and Maxine Zazara. It was a brutal murder. Frank says, you could see where he stepped on a fire can and got into the house through an open restroom window. The place was ransacked. $40,000 worth of things were stolen. I don't think I have $40,000 worth of things in my house, period. Vincent was executed on the couch. Gunshot wound to the temple. The gun was twenty-two caliber. Captain Obvious, Gil, is like, okay, now you have Dale Okazaki killed with a twenty-two. Sai Line Lian Yu was killed with a twenty-two, and the Zazaras were killed with a twenty-two. I feel like Gil was told he needed to explain how to be a detective to kids watching Sesame Street, and no one actually told him he's being interviewed for a true crime documentary on Netflix. Like he talked so stupid. Maxine was 44 and Vincent was 64. It's a big age gap. Maxine had several stab wounds about her vagina. Like, what? Yeah, that sounds awful. Um, ugh. Maxine had been raped and her... I hope she was already dead what? when he did that. Oh, was she already... I hope he, yeah. she was already dead. I don't know. Like, he's sick, so maybe not. I would hope she was already dead. But yeah. she'd been raped and her eyes were cut out. And I was like, God damn, like, eyes are disgusting. Yeah. Could you imagine, like, pulling one out? Like, it's that was the one thing I had to get over in order to wear contacts because I was like, oh my God, I, I can't touch my eyeball. <laughs> there were shoe prints at the point of entry and in the flower beds around the house. Um, Anastasia Heronis is a night stalker survivor. I don't, but um, she was six at the time. This now, this was disturbing, and this like made me sad. She says, My first memory of that night is the window opening and being woken up, and then being ushered out the window and being carried. She wasn't afraid, he seemed familiar. He had her open the glove compartment, and she saw that there was a gun. She says things started from there. Ugh. She said that she had to look at him and touch him. When they stopped, she remembers there were German shepherds and a chain link fence. He forced her to get in a zipped up duffel bag. He told her to be quiet. Do what I say. It was dark and slimy. It was abandoned house. Madonna music was continuously being played. Like, could you imagine the PTSD that lady probably gets if she hears a Madonna song? Oh, I thought the same and, thing. Like, 
she remembers stuff that hurts and don't or why are you doing this and I was like oh this is really awful like it's so uncomfortable so Ramirez sexually assaulted her and like I don't really remember from like if you asked me to remember something that happened when I was like five or six and you know this woman probably remembers every single thing about it like down to the smells like that's <laughs> terrible like she doesn't even have a chance to have like a normal life you do that to a six-year-old yeah that sucks he told her to go to the gas station and told her to tell them to call 911 to have her family come get her so he let her go and it's very like crazy that like he would have these moments of and then like now that I say that I wonder like he would let her go like she's so young like he didn't want to hurt her but I wonder if he did that to her and let her go because he was hoping like the badness of what happened to her would then like she would grow up and turn that on someone else you know what I mean because mm-hmm. yeah. I, I did wonder why he let her go but now I wonder if he thought like oh this is how I'm going to like recruit like people to worship Satan like I'm going to come in and do like horrible things so Frank says at that time there was a series of child abductions or attempt abductions of children and in each case a child was sexually assaulted which is so beyond disgusting a little girl was taken from a schoolyard, molested, and then abandoned. Same thing with a nine-year-old boy, an eight-year-old girl. Just all these different little kids. And it's horrifying. And, like, like you wonder when you see people that had horrible things happen. Like, because some of them, they do have some insane, like, inner strength. And they can, like, work through it and have, like, this, like, very fulfilling life. And then some people, it's just, like, they're fucking stuck there. Oh, and I've seen it. People that have been through like therapy, like they still just can't get past it. It's very like sad and disturbing. I wrote, "Oh, great, Gil is back." Gil said, "If kids get sexually assaulted, get happens to kids. That's an entirely different unit." And I was like, "Um, yeah, we know we've all seen Law and Order, Law and Order Criminal Intent, and Law and Order SVU." Gil was signed to the Sheriff's Homicide Bureau. And he's talking about who the fuck cares. (laughs) Gil covers all his bases and says his opinion was that there is a serial killer who assaults and rapes children. Kills girls, kills women, assaults and women and males. Well, that really narrows it down, Gil. He tells us that people didn't believe all of that. And I was like, oh, really? They didn't? Like, shocker. And then I wrote, is that me? Do you think he's annoying? Obviously, you don't. But I thought he was very annoying. Gil thinks it's unbelievable only because people had never encountered anybody like that before. And it's like, well, Gil, like, maybe it's because you checked every goddamn box that you could. So you, like, you narrowed nothing down at all. And Frank's like, I was really like, eh, about Gil's theory. On April 10th, 1985, this is day 24. On that day, go into a meeting. It could have been an email about abducted children. 
Gil says, I was alleging that the child abductions were related to the homicides. They all fucking laughed right in his face at this meeting. And I thought it was amazing. Like, could you imagine, like, just start laughing in his face? I wish I would. That would be so embarrassing. I would have laughed so hard. (laughs) That would have been the best. Like, I would have talked about that day at work forever. It was unbelievable to some of the detectives that you had a murderer who was also kidnapping and assaulting children, but let the children live. And Gil sounds like his feelings are sore about it. He was like, it's so butthurt. He's like, I went in there open and honestly, I didn't realize they were going to reject and scoff at my theory. And I was like, God, he's such a bitch. (laughs) It was very frustrated with the way that he was being treated. They said, God damn, he's sensitive. Nobody liked your ideas. And now it's a hostile work environment. Like, have a seat. And Gil has, <laughs> he calls an inside friend that worked Monterey Park. And, like, stop calling people you know your friend. He's like, I met this guy one time. He's my buddy. Um, He told Gil, every time you walk out of this office, come in the office. They are motherfuckering you to death thinking you're a young punk trying to make a name for myself. I was like, sir, it took you almost a decade to get this job. And it's your first promotion. I don't think a single person thought for one second that you were like coming in and taking over. They probably just made fun of you behind your back and apparently also to your face. (laughs) Could you imagine? I'm just some young like young detective like sir you have arthritis like you're not young linda arthur a crime scene technician i said and possibly gil's mistress says i thought gil was right in suggesting that it was one person he had a good sense of this killer and gil looked very doughy in the old pictures they flash on the screen linda says so i just encouraged him as his friend and i wrote why are you clarifying that ma'am and said go for it And I don't know why I get cheater vibes off them, but I do. Gil says he used the East L.A. patrol station as his home base. He says the deputies were well aware of what I was working on. It's like, shove it. A deputy from the station said to Gil, some girls called the cops. They said, this guy was following us. Here's his plate number. The guy had long hair, was tall, light-skinned Mexican. So Gil got a surveillance team and had him followed. He went to a restaurant, saw a lady alone, and began following her. That would be terrifying. Could you imagine if, like, it's like, oh, you were being followed? And no. I said, I could never be a cop. I would be crying no. in corners constantly. And, like, I feel like you just, like, know the worst of the worst of people if you're a cop. Like, you just, like, are just surrounded by annoying things all the time. Um, the lady realized she was being followed, so she split off and got away from him. And Gil is acting like he's telling the best story in the world. The police brought in Arturo Robles, and Gil talked to him. Gil asked him about going through all sorts of traffic just to get near a woman. And he said, yeah, I like women. Nothing wrong with that. Gil said, a lady walks by you, then you duck down behind a car. Arturo said, oh, I didn't duck. My shoes were untied. Gil is the worst. He says he had an answer for everything. He was good. Like, he was good. Are you fucking for real? So he put 
their mug show folder and showed it to Maria Hernandez, and Maria says that could be him. Gil got a search warrant, been back, went back to his house, and found all sorts of things, pictures out of magazines, photographs of women, etc. He had dark clothing and a black members-only jacket. He had ladies' underwear, and they were all sliced in the crotch. And I wrote, ew. So, on May 14, 1985, which was day 58, Linda, the crime scene tech that had a crush on Gil, Tells us that the case of the Doys in Monterey, in the case of the Doys in Monterey Park, she was called to go to their home. It was really violent and destructive. So 66-year-old William Doy was shot and then raped, and then um, Richard raped, beat, and robbed Williams's wife, Lillian Doy. William Doy saved his wife's life by calling the police before he died. And Lillian was badly beaten, and when she was found, she was wearing thumb cuffs. So Frank says, 18 years I worked homicide. It's the only case I've ever worked where thumb cuffs were used. And they're described as a bizarre restraining device. And I was actually expecting them to be like those tubes where like when you put a finger in each end, but then you try to pull them out, it tightens it. Like, yeah. I don't know why that's what I pictured. No, I they're they're way scarier looking than that. Yeah, they look like weird, rusty, small handcuffs. Mm-hmm. So, Mrs. Joy had tried to rip her thumbs apart. And when police got to her, her thumb was bleeding profusely. Frank says, we had nothing. We had a whodunit. And I was like, well, I'm sure that's comforting. Another friend of Gil's from Montebello PD. I like, I, if he doesn't stop calling, like, co-workers friends, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> told Gil that he may have found a link that was going to help Gil link the cases. He showed Gil a picture of a footprint that was taken at a child's abduction crime scene. Frank says she was eight years old and taken from her house, taken to a construction site, and was sexually assaulted and then set free. And I said, it is very amazing to me that he set all these kids free. At that construction site, they had poured concrete that day and there was a shoe print in the concrete. Gil says, so I went down there and I showed them and I said, Jesus Christ. Gil recognized it immediately as the same or similar footprint that was lifted at the Zazara homicide crime scene. Frank says that they were looking for a pretty good-sized shoe around 11 or 12, so Gil called up his lieutenant and told him they found the link. His lieutenant said, Gil, I've got the guys from LAPD here that are running that case. They're looking for a size 10. You're looking for a bigger shoe. Gil had him put those guys on the phone, and he asked the guys to explain exactly how they determined what shoe size to look for. He was looking at a picture of the footprint with a ruler next to it. The cement was kind of wet, so the guy put his footprint shoe or put his shoe size 10, stood on one foot, and put his wingtip shoes over the footprint, and it covered it, so the guy was like, it's got to be a size 10. What a stupid story. The guy tells Gil that obviously he made a mistake and would change it. Gil says, now I've got a little bit of circumstantial evidence here, but that still wasn't enough. Like, you barely have anything. Frank says in May 1985, Gil lost his partner. And I said, I would guess nervous breakdown from dealing with Gil. Frank's partner had retired, so Frank and Gil started to hook up. And I wrote Frank's words, not mine. Mm Mm-hmm. Frank and Gil went out for drinks, and Frank officially asked Gil to be his partner. Now, Gil, Gil says, 
too cool Carrillo, you know. So I said, yeah, I'll give it some thought. Like, he's mm. trying to play cool. Like, Paige, when I say I hate this man. And I said, I bet my left kidney that Gil is the only person on earth that has ever said too cool Carrillo in reference to himself. <laughs> I imagine there was a lot of laughing when Gil left the room. Oh, my God. Gil played it cool in front of Frank and then raced home so he could gossip about it with his wife. Like, it would be so painful to be married to anyone even remotely similar to Gil. Like, I would hate my life. Like, and you just know, like, he's the type of jackass that, like, wants praised for putting his glass in the sink. Like, oh, God. Like, you probably wake up and he's, like, immediately standing outside the bathroom while you're trying to pee. Like, did you notice I left the seat down? Like, yes, I also noticed that it smells like fresh shit in here. So that's probably the only reason why the seat is down, you fucking idiot. Hmm. I would get divorced so quick. But Gil was super stoked that Frank Salerno asked him to be his partner. He sounds like a freshman who got asked to go to homecoming by their crush. (laughs) Frank says that Gil... Gil had a good reputation, was young, and could speak Spanish, so fuck it. Let's be partners. Like, could you even imagine? Like, uh, just whatever. Fuck it. Like, and Gil's over there, like, writing it down in his diary. I bet Gil was like, you want to be blood brothers? They both look unfortunate in old photos. Having Gil as a partner was probably a big ego boost for Frank. He probably felt so smart. Ugh. Gil says, the next day he comes up to me and says, I was in my cups that night. And he's like, I figure Frank is letting me down easy. Like, he's oddly insecure for someone that talks about him so much. Talks about himself so much. Frank says, yeah, but I'm not in my cups now. I'm asking you if you're still interested. I said, sure. And he said, good. I went to the captain. It's going to happen. I said, cool. And I wrote, does anybody on earth care? Because I sure the fuck don't. Like, can we get to the the serial killer yet? I'm sick of (laughs) hearing about Forrest Gump homicide version. Frank and Gil look like real big losers back in the day. Gil smiles entirely too much to be a homicide detective. (laughs) Like, he should have been like a school crossing guard or some shit. Gil's all giddy walking around with Frank in old tapes. Like, it's embarrassing. Tony Valdez, a reporter, was shocked that Frank and Gil were partners. <laughs> and I wrote, I bet. <laughs> Tony says, I was really surprised when I first realized that Frank Salerno, the almost bigger than life cop, murder cop, and then here's Gil Carrillo. I knew him from the streets. Gil looks like a Hispanic Kevin Heffernan, the guy who played Farva on Super Troopers. Mm-hmm. When he was a patrol deputy, he was known as El Koi, I don't know what that how to say that, but it means the boogeyman. He was notorious for eating sunflower seeds and then spitting the shells out all over the place. Like fucking gross. I do find that very easy to believe. Like what a fucking loser. And I'm just picturing like Ace Ventura with that shit all in his teeth and like a pile of it disgustingly on the desk when like Courtney Cox is like, Do you want an ashtray? He's like, Oh no, disgusting habit. What a jackass. <laughs> Who the fuck spits like sunflower seeds all over the place? You still liked him after that? That's annoying. 
And the, you wouldn't be annoyed if, like, you worked with someone and they spit sunflower seeds everywhere. You're like, I'm just not answering. Is it? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh. Are you saying anything? You're like, no, just get the fuck to the point. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Another reporter, Laurel Erickson, says they were sort of an odd couple. Frank was all business and no smiles, and Gil was this big guy who was jovial. She says Gil was a welcome relief, and I said, I bet. He's dumb. Like, she probably just gave him a compliment. He probably gave them tons of things he should have kept his mouth shut about. So Gil is still praising Frank. Gil feels like Cinderella. He says, and I quoted this, he could have had anybody he wanted as a partner. And he asked me and I was tickled pink. I was flying. Like, that's weird. And I wrote, there are less than 10 minutes left. And I still know the exact same amount of things I already knew about Richard Ramirez as I did 40 minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. And I know goddamn Gil's entire life story. (laughs) <laughs> so june 28th 1985 and that's day 103 patty elaine higgins was killed in the city of arcadia patty was 32 and that was the first case that frank and gill had together frank says that the killer was really enraged he viciously cut her throat and then he stabbed her in that slash like here's some more that's fucking disturbing mm-hmm. four days later arcadia PD called the bureau again and said we got another murder this now I did think like did they call themselves a homicide bureau so that they could say things like they called the bureau again and like hopefully people would think they were like FBI but oh, no. um, so this is on July 2nd of 1985 so Gil and Frank went to the Cannon case a few miles from where Patty Higgins the Patty Higgins case was Mary Cannon was 75 like I hope he didn't rape that old lady um Gil tells us her throat was slit very similar to how Patty Higgins throat had been slit so in three days later on the 5th of July day 110 Sierra Madre Police Department called, and it's close to Arcadia. In the front of the house, there's a fabric mark and blood on the windowsill. So we knew that the suspect was wearing gloves. They never found a single fingerprint in any of the crime scenes. So we hear part of a news report. She was beaten with a tire iron at her parents' home in Sierra Madre. Frank says the room was ransacked. Like, holy shit, that lady survived. Yeah. We see her super bandaged up in the hospital. That's insane. A reporter tells us she says she remembers only going to bed. She woke up bloody beaten her bedroom in a disarray. Like, I cannot believe she's bruised to all hell. She ended up with 42 inches of lacerations and skull fractures. Like, that's insane. And I think something similar happened to one of, like, Ted Bundy's victims. Like, he, like brutally beat the shit out of this girl and you would think there was like no way she could have survived and she did but yeah frank says it's a difficult situation to stand there and interview a 16 year old girl that had just gone through that and oh so gil says we didn't go into the room where this happened because we didn't want to contaminate it we're waiting out in the living room when giselle levine who was a criminalist from our crime crime lab 
She walks out. She's wearing a lab coat. Her hair's in a bun, glasses on. And she says, hey, fellas, found something that may be interesting to you. You ought to take a look. So the criminalist, Giselle, had a pink comforter in her hand. And she walks out and opens it up. And there's a shoe print in blood on the comforter. And so that shoe print matched the footprint found at the Zazera scene. And the same footprint found at the abduction of the 10-year-old little girl. So Gil says, that's a serial. There's no doubt in my mind. It's the same guy. Frank says, wow. And Gil says, the only thing I could say was kiss my ass. And I was like, what? (laughs) And Frank said, Jack, kiss your ass. It gave Gil chills. I hate Gil. Frank told Gil to tell him everything he had in his head. And I wrote, please don't. Like, you know, that was a long conversation. Um. So Gil lists all the attacks and he says they weren't on my cases, but I studied them. I knew all the details, times, addresses, information, and I told him everything. Frank says, now it's in black and white in front of you. There's no denying it. Gil was right. So the Bureau didn't believe that it was one man, but once Frank got on board and says, yes, it's one man, everyone listened. And you know, Gil had his feelings hurt about that. And I hope that hurt Gil's feelings. Probably. You know he came home crying that day. (laughs) They picked up the phone and called the captain right away. And things started going fast and furious. We got a serial killer at the end. And like, just spoiler alert, nothing gets fast and furious. Mm. They take forever to solve this. With this dude just like, killing people left and right. So I had wrote, that was episode one. What did you think so far? I said it was good, I guess, but I need less Gil. <laughs> you're so, you're such a Gil hater. Look, I was right about a lot of that. He was very annoying. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, when I like Googled stuff, like I would read stuff about the actual case and it's very disturbing. Like, oh, oh yeah. But I I don't know. I'm not and I know people get on other people about like, oh, you know, we um glamorize serial killers and stuff. I'm like, I get that, like, if you want to have it from a different perspective, that's fine. But then don't name it the Night Stalker. Yeah. And then say nothing about the Night Stalker. Yeah. And, like, I don't romanticize serial killers. Like, I don't, like, think it's cool what they did or anything. But, like, I do want to know, like, what was going on that made that person, like, is there a link of something? Like, why would somebody act like that like how like stuff that killers do it's like so unimaginable to me like i couldn't even get anywhere near there (laughs) i mean the only time i think i could ever kill someone is if like i thought they were going to kill my kids if i didn't yeah but like yeah i don't it's very fascinating to me how like some people like have that like i don't know i always want to know like what in your head made that think like yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. <laughs> but, like, I don't think they're, like, cool or anything. But, like, yeah, I do want to know why you're so weird. And I also want, like, I want to know that there are people in that world. So I'm not just walking around, like, fucking dipshit, like, trusting people left and right. 
and ended <laughs> up getting killed. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, but it doesn't look like they ever get to much about Ramirez. No, not until later. Well, even that was like the fourth episode, and it wasn't even that much so far, unless they like drastically pick it up, but not holding my breath. <laughs> it's going to be all Gail all the time. Yeah, I don't, Gil did really annoy me. Nothing about him annoyed you? No, not really. Even after you hear all the things that annoyed me? Mm. No, because I think what you said was funny. <laughs> well, at least, maybe not that it annoys you, but do you at least see why I was annoyed? <laughs> A little. I but I guess I just didn't look at it in the same way you did. Well, I also, like, I, I think I have a problem when people, like, have no common sense. It bothers me. Oh, yeah. And, like, you're a detective. And I feel like detective work is not really about, like, going to school and getting a degree. Like, that can be useful and helpful. But, like, if you're a detective, like, you have to think outside of, like, some sort of a box. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have logic. And I don't think he has that. Yeah. And, like, who, like, goes home and cries because people laughed at your idea? Well, I don't think he did. Oh, I do. He, his wife said he, like, came home and was very upset about the way he was being treated. Oh. I didn't remember that she had said that. Yeah, like... If Dan came home and was like, people are being mean to me at work, I'd be like, gee, you need, like, my doll? <laughs> like like uh, what ha- like it's work aren't people like people act like that at work you would just like ignore them yeah I don't know y'all just he was a lot <laughs> and like look stop talking about you were this young detective like you took you nine and a half years sir I don't know. He is such a weirdo. <laughs> and he looked weird. Like, he looked like the human version of, like, in, like, what, you know those, have you ever played the game Angry Birds? Yeah. So, you know the pigs? Yeah. For some reason, like, that's what he looked like to me in his, like, pictures from back then. Gil? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't green, but, like... <laughs> I don't know. He looked like some sort of like cartoon or something. He looked really bad. I'm like, did you notice that they would show like pictures or like videos of Gil and um, Frank from that like back then at the time? And Frank Uh was always like in detective like clothes, like, you know, like plain clothes, like office stuff. And like Gil would walk around in like a sheriff's uniform. I guess he was really proud of what he accomplished. Uh, But when you're a detective, you think, like, aren't you supposed to go and find out, like, all this shit that people don't want to tell the cops? Like, you're going to walk in there in your fucking uniform? (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was weird. And, like, he said the Hillside Strangler case. Like, you fucking idiot. I'm not even law enforcement, and I knew that was, like, two people. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So Dan keeps sending me these TikToks. 
there's this guy that he loves like and I think it annoys the shit out of Emily because of how much Dan likes it it's like dad jokes kind of like white dads be like oh oh yeah are very corny and like Mm -hmm. Dan finds it hilarious like Dan sits there and laughs like not ironically (laughs) and Emily like just looks at him like god but that's exactly how my father-in-law acts oh like like he's the one that like like my mother my mother-in-law told me (laughs) that one time they were at the grocery store and they were like talking to people like in the line like as they were like waiting to put their groceries on the conveyor belt or whatever Mm -hmm. and David started talking to people behind them and then he invited them to their house for dinner. That's weird. And then Sandy was like, and then these people came. (laughs) That's even weirder. I was like, you are very lucky that you did not get murdered. And I could never. I don't even talk to people. Like, I don't even say like, oh, hi, are you having a good day? Like, I would not have talked to anybody. I go very out of my way to not have to talk to people. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I will sit in the Starbucks drive-thru and order a mobile order, like, one thing before, one time before I get to, like, the speaker thing so that I can say when I pull up to the speaker, I send in a mobile order and I don't Mm -hmm. have to talk to them. Yeah. But then it's also, like, the spot where I would be in place if I was going through the drive through so my coffee will be hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's how much thought I put into not having to talk to people. Oh, my God. And then I don't have to hold, like, a card out or my phone, and I can just grab my drink and bounce. Oh, my God. Please, like, try it one time. It'll change your life. It's, like, the best way to do it ever. It's so sad. Well, we don't, we don't have a Starbucks. That's sad. Well, when you come visit me, we'll go through the Starbucks and you'll see. Okay. Thank you for listening to True Crime True Family. Follow us on our Twitter at TCTFP and Instagram at TCTF Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us where you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review. We appreciate all the feedback. Join us next week.